Hey, Selma Midtown. This is Robin McKinnon, and I am super excited to get to interview a little bit today our lead pastor, Brandon Shields. So welcome to another episode of our Selma Midtown podcast. I'm really excited to get to pick Brandon's brain and talk a little bit about something that I've watched him be really passionate about. You've heard him preach about this from the pulpit, and that's this concept of um, of corporately experiencing the the process of liturgy together, talking about how that ties in with a rule of life. And hopefully you have seen or heard about in our sermons on social media that as a church, as we're walking through the book of Philippians over the next few months, we also have created a corporate liturgies project which provides an opportunity for all of us as a body to walk through day by day a portion of this uh, book of Philippians. And so, Brandon, welcome. Good to be um, here. I know, this is fun. Um, will this you talk fun. a little bit about the motivation behind this initiative? Yeah, sure. I think that, um, you know, we have all experienced this pandemic in waves. And, um, you know, I remember back to as a staff team, March happened. It was like a Wednesday or Thursday night when I first got the news about the NBA shutting down and the sports world kind of coming to a screeching halt. And, um, and even thinking about, you know, just how we as a community are going to respond with our Sunday gatherings. And I think the first initial response was, oh, yeah, we'll just stop for a couple of weeks and pick it back up. And I think there was a uh, this disorientation that kind of you know hit us of uh, we begin to realize oh this is not going away anytime soon this is actually here to stay and maybe for a long time and I think initially that kind of um, decentralization of the church where we stopped our Sunday gatherings and we really begin to put our focus on missional communities was really exciting even for us as a team um, we all begin to work remotely. Um, we embraced Zoom. Uh, there was this initial kind of sense of excitement of like, hey, we're going back to like, uh, you know, kind of the early church model of like this network of tr house churches. And and I think that quickly gave way to like, oh man, this is really hard. And this is, there's there's a lot of loneliness and the decentralization became a uh, a weight and a burden. And I think as we were talking as a staff team, as we were talking as elders, the sense of loneliness, the disconnection, the uh, the burnout that was beginning to take place, the fatigue, the exhaustion, we begin to realize, wow, we need some rhythms to pull us back together. We're not alone in our families. We're not alone in our households. We're not alone in our MCs and our discipleship groups. We have this larger body um, of several hundred members who live across the north side of Indianapolis who need to pull together and to remain spiritually unified, even though we're physically distanced. And I think it was you really in a lot of ways championed and led the way and saying we need to really think through how do we how do we pull people back together and i think that's really what became the genesis and the initial motivation for this corporate liturgies was how do we how do we stay unified how can we be strong together even though we're not physically seeing each other i think we were concerned about the disconnection becoming isolation in kind of a prolonged and protracted way that then led to some you know unhealthy um behaviors and outcomes for our community. I mean, I don't know if you'd add anything to that, but those are some of the conversations we had. Yeah, I think it's this realization that we have to fight for connectiveness. We're gonna to have to fight for unity. 
and and based off of some of the restrictions that are very real because of living in a pandemic, creativity is going to have to abound for the ways that we connect with each other. And so this concept of being united together as we're walking through our daily walk with God is really comforting. There's there's kind of this community aspect of realizing that I'm not the only one looking at this piece of scripture this morning. I'm not the only one reflecting in this way. It's kind of like, I remember the first time that I went overseas and was able to experience worship in another language in another culture, I had this overwhelming feeling of like, you know, God is here too. Like they're also worshiping and, and it unifies. Christ. And so I think, yeah, that's really the heart behind this. I do think that this term corporate liturgy can kind of feel heady and a little bit abstract. And so will you kind of just break down even what that means and where does this kind of idea come from? In true summa form, it feels heady and abstract. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, no, that's helpful. I mean, the word corporate can be we associate that in kind of more of a business context and thinking of a corporation in the West, but the word corporate actually just comes from the Latin word corpus, which means body. So there's this rich history with corpus in this sense of being an interconnected, interdependent group. You think about your body, the different systems of your body working together, the the brain working together with the the organs of the heart and and different, um, you know, just biologically, that's, that's how we're wired. So that, that's kind of this beautiful imagery of a body, which the New Testament talks about as being a body, the body of Christ. And then the idea of liturgy is just simply rhythms or practices or habits that um, we live into that help shape our loves, that help give a direction or kind of index the desires of our heart. And so you put those together, and it's this idea of kind of a, a set of shared practices that um, help create solidarity and unity and, and alignment um, in terms of practicing the presence of God as a body, wanting to listen to the voice of God, pay attention to the presence of God in us and among us. And, and really, this is kind of a, a condensed form and a modified you know, version of what has really been talked about for thousands of years and practiced for thousands of years in the church, which is just a, a rule of life. And so kind of the, the idea of a rule of life, again, you hear that, that, that word rule, and it sounds like rules and, you know, restrictions, and you kind of tend to want to rebel against that. Nobody can tell me what to do. But the idea of a rule of life goes back to at least Augustine. Um, rules of life were very common um, in the third and fourth and fifth century, kind of at the decline of the Roman Empire you had people seeking to kind of withdraw from society and they were forming these communities, trying to practice the way of Jesus in the midst of social, uh, you know, kind of uh, decline and, and eventually the end of the Roman empire. So Augustine forms one of these in like the fourth and fifth century in North Africa, Benedict, probably the most famous one uh, in the West uh, in the sixth century in Italy um, started with him in a cave practicing the way of Jesus and then expanded out to dozens of communities um, and, and these monastic communities were essentially created around a shared rule. Um, that word rule, it comes from the Latin word um, regula, which again meant like a guidepost or a railing or uh, an attempt to regulate life in accordance with God's, uh, God's design. And, and so it was just really creating this shared community around a common way of life to listen to God's voice, to discern God's will, to practice God's love in their relationships. And so I love this simple definition. Stephen um, Makia, we, we use a lot of his stuff 
um, with when it comes to rule of life. He has a great book called Crafting a Rule of Life, and he, he ex- explains it like this. A rule of life is a holistic description of the spirit-empowered rhythms and relationships that create and redeem and sustain and transform the life that God invites you to humbly fulfill for Christ's glory. And so think of a rule um, and think of these corporate liturgies, which, which are kind of part of a larger rule of life. Um, as like a trellis for a vineyard. Jesus says, abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. In order to have a healthy vine, you need a support structure um, undergirding that to help give it support and guidance and direction so that it can live towards um, its intended purpose of flourishing. And that's, I think that's exactly what Jesus is inviting us to think about in terms of how we abide, how we rest in him, how we make our home in him and, in, and pay attention to his presence in our lives. It's recognizing we all have a rule of life, right? We all have a it's usually unconscious and accidental. And the question is, is the way we're living, is our pattern of life aligned with God's vision for our flourishing? And is it leading to us towards a more robust vision of love and discernment and paying attention to the presence of God in everything we do? So that's kind of the, that's the heart behind it. The, the, the particulars of it, it's just a simple, like all we're doing with this corporate liturgy project is a daily and weekly rhythm of prayer and reflection and scripture reading, and then reading through some great books together. I really, really resonate with the word picture of a trellis when we think about this corporate liturgies project or rule of life. And so, of course, um, I'm from California and I went to college near wine country, which is beautiful, beautiful to look at um, just to see hills filled with um, beautiful vineyards. And of course, as grapes are growing, they're all, all always growing on a trellis structure that elevates them from the ground. And and the whole purpose of that, right, is so that there's more fruit. And and that for me resonates when I think about creating some kind of structure that allows my life to be elevated to a point where I then can bear much fruit. And this corporate liturgies project is really just kind of a mini rule of life. It's this idea that we're going to create some structure in our daily walk with Christ so that we can bear much fruit. And I'm really excited about how some of these rhythms are becoming habit for me personally, and I think for others within our church. And so there's some basic movements that are incorporated into this corporate liturgies project. And do you want Yes, um, I'll speak to that. And again, I think to your point, one of the things that we overestimate is our ability to kind of organically create and live into the life that God has for us. You know, we think it happens just spontaneously or magically, but nothing good happens in life without deliberate, intentional practice. And that is at the heart of our vision for spiritual formation is we, we have been formed by the institutions around us, by our relational context, social context to embrace certain practices and narratives as a part of our way of life. And so we have to unlearn a lot of those and relearn them within the, within the body of Christ. And, and if we're going to move towards this life. And so that's really the goal of this is just to open ourselves to God's presence and become more attuned to his active presence in us and around us throughout the day, as opposed to just thinking of that as like a sacred time in the morning or maybe at night um, or just kind of one-offs. But what does it look like for us to just open ourselves to God's presence to learn to be with God, to commune with him relationally, 
Um, I got a really good picture of this when I was on sabbatical. Um, this isn't the first time that I've been in this kind of environment, but it was it was neat to have this reinforced. I got to go down to the Abbey of Gethsemane, which is a Trappist monastic community. Um, again, been around for thousands of years um, in Western civilization. And they have a beautiful uh, abbey down in Kentucky, my homeland. And so I got to journey down there, um, right down the street from a bourbon distillery, which was fun to go by there too. Um, so put together, you know, bourbon and uh, monasticism, you have a pretty good weekend. And so I took this trip and it's a, it was a silent retreat essentially. And these monks, you know, 50, 60, 70 men that live in community together. This has been going on at this Abbey for centuries. Thomas Merton, if you're familiar with him, uh, actually spent a large portion of his life as, uh, as a monk there. And, um, and they, they organize their day around the presence of God. They, they pray and they work essentially is that's kind of the life. And they alternate in these rhythms of prayer and work. And, um, and it's built around what they call the, the divine hours. There's seven of these uh, times where they stop, they pray, um, they take, you know, Eucharist in there. But essentially, the, the entire community is organized around these times of prayer. I mean, you start early in the morning, I got up, you know, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning, and they do them every couple of hours. And it was just amazing the power that has to like, center you and just ground you in the beauty of, of who God is and giving you space to reflect on that. And that's, that's really kind of like to see that and to think, wow, what would it look like for us not to all like, you know, withdraw from society and form our own cloisters necessarily, although some may be called to pray like that and live like that. But in the, in the midst of our households, in the midst of our discipleship groups, in the midst of our work, um, what would it look like for us to organize our lives in similar ways? And so that's, that, that's kind of the core of these movements is really built around, again, a, practices that have been around in the church for a long time. So it essentially starts with silence. Um, and, and again, silence is hard for myself. I'm an extrovert. I, I like to talk. I like to be active. Silence and stillness is definitely uh, a counter like upstream discipline for me. Um, I, I'm a very like wordy person. I, I my, my book, my vocation in a lot of ways deals with words. And, um, and I think yet though, the psalmist talks a lot about silence, talks a lot about the, the stillness that's required to be a disciple of Jesus. I think of the psalmist saying, I've, I've quieted my soul like a weaned child. Um, you know, I'm, I'm literally dependent upon God and I'm waiting on God's presence. And this idea of silence is really silencing, not just our mouths, but silencing our minds. We have just, I mean, our minds are constantly in overdrive and like an information digital age. We're thinking about things, we're ruminating, we're in these neg negative feedback loops. We're just thinking about problems, worrying about things. And you don't realize it till you try to disrupt it, like how hard that is to break that down. And so it's, it's silencing your mind and it's also silencing your heart, silencing your emotions, um, your anxieties, your fears. And, and, and then focusing your attention on God. And I think it's one of the hardest things to do. If I forget, I think it was uh, Blaise Pascal who said, like, most of men's unhappiness arises from our inability to get into a room and be quiet. Mm, yes. And I don't know about you, but I, that so starting the day with two minutes of silence, uh, as simple as just sitting still in a room, taking a walk, being quiet, maybe having a word or a phrase that helps you center your thoughts, come Holy Spirit, or... Lord Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, whatever that looks like, but just finding a way to quiet your heart. It's very challenging for many people to even do that for two or three minutes. It really is. Um, I, as I have been stepping into this practice more, have 
practiced something that I learned a long time ago, actually in an active listening course. But when I am entering that time of silence, I just, I put my hands down to my side. And if I capture my mind starting to reflect on something in the past, I just kind of tap my left leg. If my mind starts jetting to something in the future, which could be what's for dinner or someone I need to call, I tap my right leg. And um, as a way of just calling my mind um, into attention and into focus of just the present silence. And it's been an encouragement for me to watch those taps become less and less over time. But I definitely have learned that it's a discipline that, that has to be practiced and it can be learned. And it's amazing. We actually just had our Soma Midtown Women's uh, retreat, which was fantastic. And we started off our time and ended our time with two minutes of silence. And two minutes sounds like nothing, right? But it is a significant uh, amount of time to just quiet your soul, to quiet your mind, and just to prepare your heart to really enjoy and encounter God. Mm. And it is counterintuitive because I think in a lot of circles we're taught that prayer begins with us talking at God. Um, and, and really, uh, I think Eugene Peterson says it, um, all prayer is answering prayer. Uh, we're actually answering God and the spirit of God in us, Romans 8 says, actually speaks and groans on our behalf. And so in many ways, silence is kind of descending into the heart to get in touch with the spirit who lives in us and attune ourselves to what he wants to say before we begin to kind of just you know, unload and unleash everything inside of us. And so it's really moving from kind of a more transactional relationship with God, God, I need X, Y, and Z to, Hey God, I, I wanted to be present with you. And I want to actually listen, which I think is, is really hard for us to listen for God's voice rather than, um, you know, just kind of, um, reflect God, to God, our own voice. And so silence is a really important thing, um, that I think we need to learn. The second thing in is we moved to a time of scripture, which I think, again, most people who've grown up in church kind of understand this part of it, but it's a really a different approach to scripture, not just as something to be consumed as information and to be studied, although that's important, but as a reality, as, as a narrative, a story, as God's truth and God's reality kind of being brought to bear on our souls. And so we don't just seek to study scripture, but allow scripture to study us, allow scripture to to master us instead of just mastering scripture. We don't stand over it, just analyzing it, but actually allowing it to, to analyze us and to speak to us. This is God's living word that he's speaking over us as a story within which we, in our own stories, kind of find meaning and purpose and hope. Um, and, and we reframe our story in light of the biblical story. And I think for me, usually on a daily basis, this starts um, and continues throughout the day with the Psalms, which has been the church's kind of ancient prayer book, um, just a short little Psalm and then an Old Testament reading, maybe a chapter. And then uh, here in the Corporate Liturgies Project, it's working meditatively, slowly through the book of Philippians, verse by verse, and just allowing that truth to renew our minds and our hearts. Yeah, and I, I really love the way that this project calls us into scripture meditation. So to really read the scripture and then ponder. So even today, I was really hit by today's uh, meditation, which says, you know, meditate on what it means to, to shine as a light in the world. What's it look like at work? What's it look like among your family, amongst your friends? And so that pause to really think about scripture and then, and then and to consider 
What is it saying? What does this mean in this particular case? What does this look like in my life? What's it look like today? It really allows um, the scripture to infiltrate. Not just I'm not just reading it and moving on. It's it's really how do I carry this with me throughout my day? Yes, and that's that's exactly the heart of contemplative reading. It's a spiritual reading of scripture where we don't have to you know, uh, do some analytical, uh, deductive or inductive Bible study. We can just take a word. We can take a phrase. We can take, uh, you know, I've been thinking a lot about just 127 in Philippians, like living as a citizen of the kingdom of God, the good news of our King Jesus. What does it look like as a citizen now, as we talk a lot about citizenship and, and our political responsibilities to be a citizen of the kingdom? It could be just taking that word and, and unpacking that, which then leads to the third movement, which is self-examination. It's really looking inward and saying, um, God, you know, with the Psalmist 139, you've searched me, you know me, um, God, help me to know myself, help me to respond. And, and that self-knowledge, that self-clarity is key to growth. It's key to transformation. I have to know what it is I'm working with and what it is that needs to be surrendered, where I'm resisting God's invitations to me. Um, what are my patterns? What are the things that um, are happening inside of me? that are making it possible or not possible to live into this reality. And so where am I not, you know, to your point, shining as a star, why? What, what is it about the way I'm living my life? Um, what is it about my desires that are not aligned? And just asking God to give you a greater self-knowledge so that, um, you know, as you, as you become more familiar with that terrain, you surrender it, you relinquish it to God, you, you trust in God and you kind of hand those things over to God for further transformation. And so self-examination, again, examination sounds like super intense, but it's really just self-clarity, um, self-knowledge, which again, every writer of any significance over the past several thousand years talks about the absolute critical importance of self-awareness and self-examination in the process of becoming more like Jesus. And again, the goal is not just knowing myself, it's knowing myself so that I might know God, knowing myself so that I can give myself away to other people but in a healthier way. And I think this self-examination piece allows us to really, um, to really listen to the spirit. So for example, in, I've been trying for the past few months to really increase my emotional literacy and thinking a lot about what emotions I'm feeling. And even in reading this morning and then, and reading the, the piece of scripture meditation I felt a gut check, like I felt an immediate twang in my gut and I was able then in self-examination just to press in and really invite the Lord to unpack that for me. And so I could find like, here's what it means to shine. Um, like a star, right, for the universe. It means to not act the way that I acted yesterday, right? Towards, and to not have that tone with my kids or it's, it's like it provides space for the spirit to then um, maybe bring conviction, um, some teaching, and then for us to make right even our walk with the Lord. Mm, that's really good. Yeah. And then that ultimately leads to, like you said, to uh, prayer. And as we are in silence and we're learning from God's word and we are examining ourselves in light of that, it gives us all kinds of material to pray with and for. And so we we turn our hearts, we turn our minds to God and we just say, God, help us, you know, Lord, help us. It's a very simple movement to then supplication um, where that's praying for ourselves, praying, uh, you know, intercessory prayer for other people, 
it's a, it's essentially a posture of dependence, like a child got a, I need you today. Uh, and for me, it like, it usually starts again in the morning with just looking out at my day in light of scripture and saying, how can I become this kind of person? I'm looking at my, literally my calendar, just going, okay, I've got this meeting. I'm anxious about that. Lord, would you help me to be present and not be focused on myself in this? Or I know I'm going to probably get angry in this meeting or, or I'm, I'm sad, you know, and I'm, I'm just really looking at my day uh, praying over my children, prayer walking in my neighborhood, praying for my neighborhood. Um, and again, I don't, sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it's an hour. But um, but that last movement is so important that we take these anxieties and we literally, I love that language of, this, of um, uh, Peter, cast your cares. Like It's like taking off a garment and throwing it at God, flinging it at God and saying, would you just take these and would you be present to these and, and really surrendering any sense of control. That's really what prayer is. It's about an active surrendering of the need to control the outcome. Absolutely. I think that, I think as we step in as a community into um, these four practices, we're going to experience greater health individually, which then allows us to step into wholehearted community, which is really the, the direction God has called us as a church over this next year. And so it's this process of, of getting our trellis, right? Getting our structure strong so that in our personal lives, we can bear much fruit so that we can then press into wholehearted community so that the world will see and want to know more about Christ. In the mm. end, it's all, it's all for his glory. Mm. Absolutely. What are you experiencing as you, work through these rhythms. We've talked about some of this in our personal lives. Just what are you seeing in the community? I know both with the daily and weekly kind of prayer guide, as well as the book, uh, the books are reading conviction and compassion. Um, and then the relational soul, what are you seeing and kind of experiencing as you're talking to people about how that's benefiting them, uh, in their walk with Jesus and how that, how you see that strengthening, uh, us as a community. I think one of one of the things that I'm so encouraged about is, and so um, to Brandon's point, there's lots of different ways. This corporate liturgy is one way, and and if you haven't been following, jump in. It is it's laid out so that you really can jump in according to the date. So start on October seventh, and uh, but there also are. Um, communities that are reading through books together at the women's retreat. We handed out to everybody a 40 day walk through kind of the daily office, which is essentially what we're talking through right now, this practice, um, doing it twice a day. What I love is when you interact with someone else and they say, did you read, you know, did you, did you read today's, what did you think about it? Or when I receive a text message from someone, what do you make of this? Or how did God speak to you through this? All of a sudden, we're all linked arm in arm together. And I think that practicing this even right now when the weather is still nice, when we are seeing each other more face-to-face -face, is, is also super wise preparation for winter, for when winter comes and we might not have as much face-to-face -face interaction with others, but we're still developing this habit of journeying together. So committing, and so some people in a discipleship group are walking through, I've, I've, um, I know groups that are walking through emotionally healthy relationships, groups that are reading Compassion and Conviction, some that are doing this, this Philippians um, liturgy project, but, but having something that unites you so that your growth is together, it, it just really speaks to the call of unity for Christ. And 
I've experienced that even as a family, as we're going through the day, I can stop at lunch and say like, man, I'm really feeling convicted about what I read in Philippians this morning. You guys read it too. And, and so here's real life example for me. Hey, I need to circle back and apologize. My tone yesterday was the opposite of what being called to in this passage. And, and my heart is to be a light. So, and my kids are tracking with me because they know, because they're also reading. And so it's just, I just think this really beautiful opportunity to be united mm -hmm. together and then to also sharpen each other, push each other in growth. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that the threading effect of like pulling together all these disparate kind of groups um, and, and relationships and, and kind of streamlining the conversation in a lot of ways, the same with us, like last week as I was preparing my sermon on Philippians 2, um, 1 through 11 on the Christ hymn, it's like I'm talking to my kids, our family, we had like a family devotional, we're talking about what it means to uh, to, you know, have this mindset of Christ in our relationships with each other and our family and what it looks like to empty ourselves and to humble ourselves and to consider others needs ahead of our own. Then we're talking about that on Sunday. And then we're talking about that as a staff. And then we're talking about that. And so it's just, there's so much fragmentation um, now with so many options with technology, people are constantly listening to podcasts and sermons, but there's no cohesion. And so it's like you, you hear a piece of information like, Oh, that's interesting. And then you never apply it or you just move on and you're just inundated and overwhelmed with so much information. But as we know, like information is not transformation. It's integration that leads to transformation. I think the integrative power of this is we're all thinking about, like Paul says, think about these things, share the same purpose, share the same goal, have the same affections. And we're kind of centering ourselves. And, and I think the power of that is it really amplifies our ability to kind of sit in one set of uh, truths and realities. And then as we socialize that with each other, it's creating like this cascading effect and the streamlined effect of, you know, taking these things and then going, okay, now what does this actually look like to have the mind of Christ like this together in our community? And how does that shape, you know, our organization? How does that shape our families? How does that shape, you know, single people? How does that shape um, everything we're doing as a community. So I've, I've really seen that fruit already in just the focus, you know, the focused effect, which then I think um, is, is really powerful across the church. So anyways, I, I like you want, want to just encourage people if you haven't jumped in, um, even if this just looks like five minutes a day or five minutes in the morning, five minutes at night, or just pausing at lunch and taking an opportunity to practice this. Um, there's nothing magical about the liturgy. Again, like you can do this and it can be empty and lifeless. Uh, the power is in the spirit and the power is in God's word and what he wants to do in us. But um, the spirit moves typically through these like grooves and these conduits and these structures um, that, um, that he's established and ordained in the ways that we grow. And so I think it's, it's an act of humility from us to learn from past ways that God has worked in communities and all that looks different now. Um, I, I really want to invite you to, to give it a try and to see if 30 days from now, if you're not, um, you know, a more loving person, if you're not uh, a more transformed person, if you're not more in tune with what the Spirit's doing in our community as you jump in and, and join us. So, yeah, Robin, thanks for the opportunity just to discuss this. And um, we'll continue these podcasts over the next several weeks, diving into different aspects of the Corporate Liturgies Project, but wanted to just give a quick overview. So thanks for joining us. And uh, we hope that you have a great rest of the week. Grace and peace to you. Goodbye, everyone.